Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. The idea of the Lord wrapping His arms around us is very powerful. We'll pray for us before we begin this morning. Father, thank You for Lord, all You've done for us. Thank You for Your Word, Lord, that You've handed down now for centuries, believer upon believer upon believer, that have studied it, Lord, and have memorized it and have lived their lives based on its truth. I pray that we would be just such believers. I pray, Father, that we would take the truth of Your Word, that You speak to us, that You've given us that you would give us understanding and, and clarity, Father. You would help us to see and know and do. And I pray, Father, that you would be honored and glorified by all that happens here this morning. Through the power of the Spirit, may we be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. As you're turning, let me just remind you, in two weeks is Easter, April the 5th. We will not have services on this campus. Our Easter services will be at True High School in the auditorium. We will have an 8.30 service. We'll have a 10.30 service. We encourage you, if you have little ones, to bring them here first. We will have child care, as we always do. Same people that always do preschool. Your kids will still have the same teachers. We'll have security here. You don't have to worry about your kids being here without you. They'll be taken care of, I promise you. Leave them here. Go to Troop High School for our worship service at 8.30 or 10.30. Come back afterwards and pick them up. I want to encourage you to be part of that. Invite your friends. We do it there because we don't have room to do it here. Praise the Lord for that. So we do two services. We'll fill that auditorium up twice next or two Sundays from now. So you be in prayer for that. Be part of that. I just encourage you to come and invite friends and those people that are not yet here. I know it's spring break, but it's okay. You can come for Easter, right? It's okay. It's okay. Now, we're in Genesis chapter 3 this morning. We are continuing our study of our passage of walking through the book of Genesis. We've entitled this, In the Beginning. And I want to make an interesting point to you this morning, kind of a distinction. We've come to kind of a a good breaking point in our study. The first three chapters of Genesis really flow together nicely. Chapters 1 and 2 are creation. Chapter 3 is the fall. They're intertwined. They go back and forth. They talk and refer to each other a lot. They kind of fit together nicely as a package. But after chapter 3, everything's going to change. See, after chapter 3, sin has entered the world. We looked at that last week and we talked about that. And from this point forward in our study of Genesis, and really this point forward in our study of all the Scripture, everything is about the redemption of mankind. Everything is about the Lord through Christ buying us back, even in the midst of our sinfulness. So last week we talked about the spiritual problem of sin. We looked at the account in the garden of how Adam and Eve had this conversation with the Lord and how they hid and how they were fearful and how they were self-centered. And we used this analogy that I want to use again this morning just to help you understand. Adam and Eve and what they did and their sinfulness and separating themselves from the Lord. We find them in kind of this spiral descending farther and farther and farther away from the things of the Lord. Now, you may or may not know this, but scripturally, the only thing that can stop that spiral of spinning away from the Lord is Christ. Now, we see that in Genesis 3. We see that in the remainder of the scripture. 
Last week we looked at the spiritual problems of sin. This week we're going to look at some physical problems of the sin. And so we're going to jump right in this morning to Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Let me remind you and catch you up if you missed last week or haven't been with us up to this point. The middle part of Genesis chapter 3 that we studied last week is a picture of the conversation between the Lord and Adam and Eve. And then verses 15 and 16 are the conversation with the serpent, the curse, and the punishment that the Lord places upon the serpent. And so now in verse 16, the Lord is going to turn his gaze toward the woman. And we're going to see exactly what he says to her. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. So to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Verse 17. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now I want to make a point here that's kind of foundational to where we're going to go over the next few minutes and really foundational to the next few verses and actually foundational to all of Genesis chapter 3. But I need to prepare you before I make this statement. This statement is not popular. It's not easy to say. It's a thing that, that a lot of people and followers of Jesus Christ in particular sometimes will shy away from, but it's biblical truth and we need to understand it. Here's point number one. Sin always brings judgment. Sin always brings judgment. Now just to review, just so you'll remember and understand, sin separates us from the Lord. We've seen that already in Genesis chapter 3. We've seen it in Genesis 3. We see it moving forward in Scripture. And I want to give you just a clear picture in another passage of Scripture that helps us understand this. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says this. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Let's just be clear. Our sinfulness always separates us from the Lord. Now, we talked about that last week. We covered that last week. But now we're going to delve into some detail in verse 16. And we're going to see exactly how the sin of Adam and Eve affect them. But watch this. We'll get to this in a minute. Not only affect them, but affect other things around them. Look again at verse 16, if you would. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. Now, pain in childbirth is something that we at least understand. I mean, we've never experienced that, praise the Lord, right? But we've heard enough about it to know that it's bad, amen? All right? We know it's bad. In fact, I've heard people say it's maybe the most painful thing you could ever go through. And even with modern medication, it's still very difficult, isn't it? Now, we have to be careful here because we're kind of drawing some conclusions that we may not find in Scripture. But the implication here, it seems to be that before sinfulness entered the world, childbirth wasn't painful. Wouldn't that have been something, ladies? Childbirth would have been easy. He speaks in here about the painful labor that you'll have in childbirth. And we know the stories of the ladies who've had painful labor. My mom, my birthday was a couple of weeks ago. And at every birthday, my mom reminds me of the painful labor I brought her before delivery. 
Then she hugs my neck and gives me a $20 bill, you know, so one of those loving kind of moments. But we know that, child, we know that childbirth can be painful, but he, here's what I want to focus on, the, the, the kind of the second part of this passage. We understand pain, physical pain. But verse 16 is a little more confusing. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, let's camp out there just for a second. Because we know scripturally, men, that we've been called to be the leaders of our families. We've talked about this. We see this in this passage. We're going to explain here in just a second. We see it really all through scripture. But we don't see godly leadership in verse 16. In fact, the phrase that's used, that Moses uses here in verse 16, is that the man will rule over the woman. Most scholars take that to mean it's kind of a harsh thing they've imposed upon them. It's kind of forcing their will over the woman. Now, let's be very clear. This is not godly biblical leadership. If that's your form of leadership, men, in your household, you're being sinful and you need to repent. The kind of leadership we see scripturally from a man is loving, compassionate, acting as Christ would have acted. If you ever want to know how you should treat your wife and your family, just look to Christ. Now we know very clearly if we were to study modern times that there are plenty of places in the world where women are treated harshly. We understand that. In fact, some of the opportunities we have for travel with mission work in South Asia and parts of Africa and, and even in parts of Europe and we've been to South America, we see other places in the world where women are treated poorly, they're treated harshly. We need to understand that's not God's plan, that's a result of sin in the world. I mean, you're not called to be harsh to your wives. And I think some of us need to be confronted with that truth because it's very easy after a long, hard day and somebody's treated us unkindly to come home and take it out on our wife or to take it out on our children. That's not the call the Lord has given us. And now this is going to play in a little bit more now to what God says, Adam. Just kind of track with me through this progression, if you would. There's two interesting things the Lord does when he begins now to speak to Adam in verse 17. The interesting thing, maybe, that I don't want to talk a lot about is the first thing he says, because you've listened to your wife. I'm not going to say anything about that. <laughs> the 830 service, Amy wasn't in there. I delved in. I hit that hard, man. I spent about 10 minutes there. I'm not going to say anything else about it, so we're going to move on past it. <laughs> but there's some interesting things we see in this passage, and the Lord speaks to Adam. The first interesting thing is there's more punishment against Adam. In fact, if you were to kind of measure words and verses, he punishes Adam a lot more. In fact, the punishment extends beyond Adam to the ground. We'll, we'll get there in just a few minutes. But the interesting thing to me is kind of beyond that. It kind of follows up with that question. God punishes Adam, it seems like, even more. Here's the second interesting thing, and it's really a question. Why is Adam being punished at all? Because think with me just for a second. Eve is the one that took the fruit, right? Remember the story? Eve was the one that was tempted. Eve's the one that lured in. Eve was the one that took up the fruit. It was her fault. Why is Adam being punished? There's one simple reason. Because Adam was responsible to lead his family. That's why. You say, oh, wait a minute now. There's, there's no indication. Eve was the one there. Adam didn't have anything to do with it. He wasn't a part of it. Well, just, just watch with me. If you've got your Bibles, look back in verse 6, just for a second, in Genesis 3. It's a part that we kind of glaze over sometimes. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Ah, see, there it is right there. See, she did, it's her fault, right? Adam shouldn't be punished. But look at the second part of the verse. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. 
You see that? And he ate it. There's this sense here that in the midst of this conversation with the serpent, as Eve is having this talk and being lured and having this discussion, there's this sense here in verse 6 that Adam is right there with her. The Bible says he was there with her. So we see this picture of the woman being tempted, of the woman really being attacked, of the woman being lured away from the truth of the word, and Adam stands by silently. Now let me remind you of Genesis 2, beginning in verse 15. The Lord God took the man, and he put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, right there, right? The command is clearly to the man. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God didn't command the woman. He commanded the man. Why? Because it was his responsibility to lead. It was his responsibility to be godly. It was his responsibility to protect. He did none of those things. Now, R. Kent Hughes says it like this in his commentary. Adam abdicated his headship as he, in passive self-interest, observed the tempting of his wife and her eating without even voicing an objection. Now, I know we've got some younger guys in this congregation, some guys that are maybe newly married or thinking about getting married. Maybe we've got some men who've been married a number of years and don't really understand this idea of responsibility and leadership. And you say, Adam, I don't really understand how to lead spiritually. I don't understand how to lead my family. I'm going to give you three very quick things. These are very simple. For some of you, they're going to be too simplistic. For others, they'll be foundational and life-changing. But here are three things you can do, very tangible things you can do to lead your family, men. Number one, lead in bringing your family to church on a regular basis. That's a good start. I'm not asking you to write your own tracks and mass produce them and pass them out all over the world. You don't have to do that. Maybe the Lord will lead you to do that. But you don't have to go that far. You don't have to preach a sermon to your family every night out of the book of Romans. You don't have to do that. You can start simply by being engaged in the local church. Just start there. Men, you decide you're going to get up and go, and I promise you, your family will follow. That's the first thing you do. Here's the second thing. You can lead your family in prayer before meals and before bed. Very simple. If you have little children, it's a great opportunity to sit everybody down after baths and right before they get in bed. Maybe you want to read them a Bible story. You don't have to. Maybe you want to say something about the Lord. You don't have to. But the very least you could do is sit down and lead your family to pray. You say, we've never done that before. Start now. It's okay. You can't change the past. You can't correct where you've been, but you can start from this day forward. Kids, mom, y'all come sit. I want to say something. Dad's going to pray for our family tonight. You say, I don't pray well out loud. You know what? Your kids could care less. Your wife could care less. God could care less. You know why? It's not about how eloquent it sounds. It's about your heart. Lord, I'm willing to serve you. I'm willing to trust you. I want to lead my family to do this. That's the second thing. Here's the third thing. You want to lead your family? You want to be a godly influence? The third thing you can do is to grow personally in your walk with the Lord. That's something they don't ever have to see. They don't have to be involved in. But you men, as a, as a father, as a husband, as a single guy, wherever you are, and, and ladies, you fit into a lot of these as well. You need to be growing personally in your walk. Men, you ought to have some sort of a regular time where you pray. You ought to have some sort of a regular time where you study. You ought to have some sort of a regular time where you're doing something intentional to grow your walk with the Lord. Adam was punished for one simple reason. He failed to lead. 
don't find yourself in the same category, okay? Now take a look at what happens in verse 17. The Lord's going to give some very clear direction here. To Adam, he says, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Here's the punishment. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your brow, you will eat the food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. I want to make a point here that I want you to see in this passage of Scripture. A couple of very interesting things. The first thing is that not only is Adam punished, but because of the sinfulness of Adam, the ground itself was cursed. Now this is something I think we miss about sinfulness and judgment and separation from the Lord. The sin of Adam and Eve and the sin when it entered the world affected everything. It changed everything. Romans 8, 19 through 22. Just write the verse down and look it up later. Listen to what Romans 8 says. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to fruition, excuse me, to frustration. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Right? There's this sense that creation is bound now to decay because of sin. And brought into the freedom, the glory of the children of God. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation. See that? Not just Adam. Not just Eve. Not just humans, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That means the ground was affected. The Bible says cursed is the ground. The plants were affected. The trees were affected. The air was affected. The animals were affected. The people were affected. Everything is affected by sin. All of creation. You say, that's great. What does that have to do with me? Here's what it has to do with you. You ready for this? Your sin always affects more than just your life. See, we think we can hide our sin. We talked a little bit about that last week. We think we can distance ourselves from our sin, and we think we can do it where nobody else sees it. It doesn't affect anybody. But here's the the really ugly, dirty truth about sin. It always affects you, and it always affects the people around you. If you allow sin to fester, it's going to affect your life. It's going to affect the life of your spouse. It may affect the life of your family. Eventually, it may affect the life of people that love you and are around you. So we see that always, throughout Scripture, there's always judgment with sin. Now let's continue on. Look at verse 20. So now, just to, just to draw the line in the sand and make the distinction, the sinfulness and the punishment and the discussion of the punishment and the implications of the curse are done now. We're past that. Now, that's going to be lasting. Okay, the curse of the Lord is going to be lasting from this point forward to the end of time, right? And, until all that's finished and that we talked about the Savior and, and how only God can bring us back in the right relationship. But we're not going to talk about it anymore in Genesis. In other words, we're going to draw a line in the sand and we're going to say we're going to put all that behind us. And beginning in verse 20, we're now going to move forward. Okay, so verse 20 of Genesis 3. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. And there's the plural again. We talked about that several weeks ago, the idea of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden 
to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now here's the second point I want to make for you, and I'm going to have to unpack this so you'll understand it a little bit. But not only do we see that there's always judgment and justice with sin, but here's truth number two. Adam demonstrated his faith to the Lord. In this passage of Scripture, we're going to see great amounts of faith from the Lord. Now you say, from from Adam to the Lord, you say, wait a minute now, I don't see anywhere in this passage that speaks about the faith of Adam. But just look at this with me, if you would, in verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Now just remember where Adam and Eve have already been, okay? Remember what they've experienced, remember what they've seen, remember how they've already sinned, they've been separated, they've hidden, they've lied, they've, they've tried to rebel, they've passed judgment to other people, they didn't want to take responsibility. See all the things we've done, right? We've, we've seen now the curse, we've seen all the mistakes that have made, and yet, now watch this, this is the beauty of the glory of the Lord. And some of you are here right now, in the midst of the ugliness and the despair and the sinfulness in verse 20, Adam decides to name his wife Eve. You say, what does that matter? Well, just, just think, think about this with me. I, I've, every time I've read this over the years, until I really started studying this passage and studying this book, I kind of glazed over this. Here's why I glazed over it. I already knew her name was Eve. You did too, right? We just know the story. And so when I read in verse 20 that he named her Eve, okay, so what, verse 21? But look at the second half of that verse. Because she would become the mother of all the living, Right? Adam and Eve have just sinned and heard about death and punishment and despair. Eve's name actually means life. How could Adam, in the midst of despair, see the idea of life and moving forward? He did it only because he trusted in the Lord. See that? Some of you need to say this morning, God, I've I've made mistakes. God, I've dropped the ball, I'm living in the middle of whatever mess I've made or somebody else has made, and I'm suffering the consequences, but Lord, even in the midst of all this, I've got to trust you enough now to move forward. See, I think we find ourselves in kind of the category of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, at this point, can't go back, can they? They can't change what they've done. Let me just ask a question by a show of hands. How many of you can change the past? Anybody? We can't do that, can we? Adam and Eve can't change the past. They they, they can't change what's already been done. Neither can we. But Adam and Eve couldn't stay where they are either, could they? Because the Lord was moving them. The Lord was pushing them. The Lord was nudging them. The Lord's nudging some of you right now, isn't he? You can't change where you've been, but you can't stay where you are either because the Lord's pushing a little bit. He's pushing. You don't really know why or how or what. You just feel the sense of the Lord's doing something in your life. And so you've only got one choice. It's the same choice that Adam and Eve had. It's a choice to move forward. I can't change the past. I can't stay where I am. Lord, I'm going to move forward. But I'm only going to do it as I trust you. We'll get to Abraham in a few weeks. But Genesis chapter 12, you should, you should reread that text again. When God calls Abraham, the very interesting part about that story to me is God basically says to Abraham, hey dude, start walking and I'm going to tell you when to stop. He didn't give him a real clear destination. He said, pack up everything and get moving and trust me enough, I'll tell you when to stop. That's great faith. See, I, I think our lives ought to be marked by our faith in the Lord. But I'm going I'm to step on your toes, ready? Get ready. How many of us miss the blessings of the Lord because we're too afraid to trust him? You you have, I have too, right? 
There's this clear line in the sand. The Lord says, I'm really calling you over here, Adam. But in order to kind of cross that line, you need to trust me. You need, you need to have faith in me. You need to kind of step over this line. And once you step over it, I'm going to do amazing things, but you can't cross it until you have faith in me. How many of us have just kind of stayed behind that line because of our lack of trust, because of our lack of faith, because of our fear in who we are? God says, I've got a plan for you. I've got a plan for your life. Even in the midst of the brokenness, even in the midst of the struggle, even in the midst of the pain, if you will trust me, the Lord says, we will walk forward together. Now, the Lord's going to prove it in verse 21. Take a look. Look what he says. So Adam demonstrates, even in the midst of the sinfulness and the shame and the problems, he demonstrates his trust in the Lord. And now look what the Lord does in verse 21. So the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Here's truth number three. The Lord covered their sins. See that? It's a, it's a beautiful picture. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't have done any more worse. They couldn't have done anything worse. Than they, they literally brought sin into the world. All of creation from that point until the end of eternity is now affected by sin. The Lord had every right to just destroy them, just to wipe them off the face of the earth, but he demonstrates his faithfulness. He demonstrates his love. He demonstrates his provision that in the midst of all this, when Adam and Eve again trust him, he covers them with garments of skin. It's symbolic of the covering of the sin that we see him offer from this point forward. Now here's the picture it gives us. You you may remember this from your study in the Old Testament. But once sin entered the world, we couldn't move away from sin. We couldn't repent of sin in the Old Testament without a sacrifice, right? You know the stories. Maybe the clearest picture of that is in Exodus when the Passover takes place and the Lord says you're to take a, a, a lamb that's without spot or without blemish and you're to sacrifice the lamb. You're to take the blood of the lamb and you're to sprinkle it over the doorpost. And when the death angel comes around, the death angel is going to do what? Pass over and spare you. You're going to be saved because of the blood of the lamb. That's what the Passover says. God in all of his infinite wisdom and in all of his beauty and perfection In this very moment, he covers their sins through the death of an animal. Isn't that beautiful? I think it's such a a perfect picture of our our failures and our weakness and the strength of the Lord in our life. But I I love what Adam and Eve have already done here. Because just remember back with me if you would. Adam and Eve have sinned. They've fallen short of the glory of God. They They have turned away from all of his beauty. They have separated themselves from the Lord. They hid. They realized they didn't have clothes on. And what did they do? Do you remember? Somebody just say it. What did they do? They, they covered themselves with what? Do you remember? Fig leaves. Right? And that there's, it's kind of funny when you think through it. Hey, honey, we, we need to hide. Let's get some fig leaves to hide us. Right? It sounds kind of silly. That's all they had. But it's a picture, if you think about the Lord using the the skin of the animal to cover the sin, the fig leaves is a reminder of our desire sometimes to hide our sin and the utter uselessness of trying to do it because we can't cover our sins, can we? Lord, I've sinned and I I can handle it though. I can fix it, right? I'm going to grab some fig leaves. I'm going to grab these fig leaves and cover myself up. And when I do that, then I'm going to cover my sin. Here's the problem with fig leaves. Here's the problem when we try to cover our sins. We can't do it. I think some of you need to hear this truth. You cannot fix your own sins. You can't do enough things to pay back because of your own sins. 
Only through the blood of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ can your sins be covered. One writer said it like this, speaking of covering our sins. He says, we don't use fig leaves today, but other than that, nothing has really changed. We use religion, money, power, veneer of good works to cover the guilt within. We stay busy, we work hard, we go to church, we try to be good neighbors. We get along with others if we can. And we hope that somehow our meager efforts will calm the voice of a stricken conscience. It works for a while, but nothing we do ever works forever. Sooner or later, we face guilt and shame and admit that nothing we do or say can ad- adequately cover our sin and our shame. It's only through the blood of Christ that our sins can be covered. This is a picture of the provision of the Lord. Surrounded by sinfulness, surrounded by failure, surrounded by destruction, the Lord says to you, I love you enough because you've trusted me. I love you enough that I'm going to make a provision to cover your sins. It's a picture of the love of Christ. It's a picture of the Messiah that would one day come. And as early as Genesis chapter 3, and I just watched this, it's a picture of salvation. We're only saved through Christ. Now verse 22, we need to wind this down. So the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. Again, there's the plural, very interesting. Knowing good from evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, by the way, the tree of life is going to be mentioned again in Revelation in heaven. The idea that if we eat of the tree of life, we live forever. Verse 23, so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword going back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Here's truth number four and maybe the saddest truth we'll study in these first three chapters. Adam and Eve are cast out. God said, I've given it all to you. I've given you, given you everything you could ever possibly need, hope for, want, desire. I've given it to you. All you need to do is trust me. Now, Genesis was written thousands of years ago, but it's the same promise the Lord still gives us today, isn't it? God still offers to you right now, I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to give you hope and a future. I'm going to give you the love and the protection and the guidance and the direction. I'm going to give you all these things if you'll simply trust in me. But Adam and Eve couldn't do it. They couldn't take the provisions of the Lord. They decided instead to sin against him and they were forever cast away out of the beauty of the Garden of Eden. But even in the midst of being cast out, the Lord says, I'm going to bless you one final time. I'm going to allow you to one day die. You say, how's that a blessing, Adam? Could could you imagine living eternally in this broken world filled with sin with no hope of ever spending eternity in heaven with Christ? God says, one day I'm going to bless you and I'm going to show you the ultimate sacrifice by bringing you out of this sinful world of bondage to live free from sin in eternity with me. See, God's plan from the beginning has been to be in fellowship with us, to walk with us in the cool of the day, 
to love us, to interact with us, to have a relationship with us. That's the way he designed it. And sin changed everything. We are eternally separated from God. And the only way back is through Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the beauty of this verse, Lord. Just the the richness of, of our study so far. Even in the midst of our failures, Father, you have shown us great love and mercy and we we trust you and we love you, Father. I pray that we would understand as we think through this passage of Scripture today and maybe this week, Father, I pray just resonate in our hearts the importance of trusting you, the importance of stepping out on faith, Lord, the importance of understanding our sins have been covered. We don't have to be shamed, Lord, and afraid of where we've been because you've covered those things. And Father, I pray that you would just use us You just strengthen us, Father. You just give us the ability to to love and to serve you for your honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity if you want to come down and spend some time in prayer at the altar. The altar is always open. Maybe you need to pray for yourself or for somebody else that's walking through a difficult journey. Maybe you need to repent of your sins for the first time you've recognized that you're separated from the Lord in your actions and you don't yet have Christ. Maybe this is your time now. Or maybe you want to join the church. But I want you to respond. I want you to pray. I want you to allow the Lord to work in your heart right now as we sing. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.